Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm continuing my streak of being this podcast's resident Marvel contrarian. That worked out in my favor this time. Let me have Alex. And I'm the opening crawl, so just sit tight, it'll all get better soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, by <laughs> which I mean, I'm Britton. Britton, can I request that for the... Uh, the synopsis this week you just read the opening crawl sure it's uh the uh, synopsis is very brief so yeah i will type in opening crawl um we should say we're talking about the eternals the movie marvel studios (laughs) yes a a much uh polarized or very polarizing Mm -hmm. film oh god Made in 2021? What <laughs> year is it? <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's made in Technicolor. <laughs> um. <laughs> there are at least three colors on display. Yeah. Yeah, this is our uh, another... What was the last Marvel we did? Was it Black? It was Shang-Chi. It was Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, yeah. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one's big. It's got a lot of space in it. Alex, do you want to do the scores? Sure. Uh, Eternals, this will be uh, our last catch-up movie for a little while. I think we're going to give ourselves a little bit of a break. I don't think Matrix Resurrections or uh, Spider-Man No Way Home have quite hit uh, home media just yet. So we'll get to those in Mm -hmm. the near future. But for right now, Eternals from 2021. It was released in 2021. It was probably shot in like 2019 or whatever. However, uh, it could have been shot 10 years ago. I don't know. Um, directed by Chloe Zhao, it has a 47% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, which I believe is the only rotten yeah. uh, Marvel movie. Marvel uh, That's Studios for critics? movie. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. And a 78% audience score. I'd have guessed that. That feels... That really does feel totally flipped to me. I don't understand yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I understand... I would understand if the movie got, like, very mixed audience reception but if critics were like <clears throat> a lot of them appreciated it but not right. all of them i don't it does not really compute in my brain that the those are the scores yeah, yeah that's odd i mean it does compute to me when where where are you ant-man the wasp what what did you what did you 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 charlatans give that movie like an 89 percent yeah i'll find you, this eventually are you taking the critics to task i'm taking the critics to task they, they really saying, need to be put in their place for ant-man <laughs> are you saying paul rudd and whoever directed that movie uh <laughs> who i always forget his name they they bribed the critics and did they use the last of the disney critic bribing money look i'm i'm not i'm not i'm not saying anything about that and mm-hmm. also captain marvel came after that so that's definitely where all the bribe money went sure so sure i mean come on tyler know your facts but, i think it, uh, <laughs> i do like the idea that there's a bribe mummy who just goes up to critics right. and is like oh brian tallarico <laughs> take this hundred dollars and say nice things about ant-man and then brian tallarico is so afraid of the big mummy <laughs> <laughs> and also he gets money for it so like why? yeah exactly it's, it's like really why are you win. called the money mummy and you're wrapped in hundos i don't get it i i think britain i think you are pitching the next mummy film for the dark universe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, money, 
I mean, if hey, hey, if I understood anything that for the last one that came out was a real money mummy, I don't know what that means. Um, uh, just just to reiterate, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. At least back when we did that episode, like three years ago or however long it's been, because I've lost track of time and space. It had an eighty-eight percent uh, critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah, you're all charlatans. You're all phonies. This movie mm-hmm. was wonderful, and it might be my favorite MCU film. Bold, yeah, bold words. All right, take that, Winter Soldier. I (laughs) have uh, before me. So the movie opens with an opening crawl. There's a lot of movie in this movie, by which I mean it's pretty graspable. Um, but they still give you an opening crawl. In now, I'm watching this through a YouTube uh video that is like they're filming the the TV or the movie screen or whatever. So. I'll slow down at some point while the crawl happens. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, before the six singularities and the dawn of creation, came the celestials, Arashem, and the... I'm starting over, because this is already confusing. Before the six singularities and the dawn of creation, came the celestials, Arashem, the prime celestial, uh, created the first sun and brought light into the universe. Life began and thrived. All was in balance. So Arashem made everything. Until an unnatural species of predator emerged from deep space to feed on intelligent life. They were known as deviants. The universe was plunged into chaos. To restore the natural order, Arishim sent Eternals, immortal heroes from the planet Olympia, to eliminate the deviants. Eternals had unyielding faith in Arishim until one mission, led by the prime eternal Ajak, changed everything. Now the thing about this crawl is, it's all lies. (laughs) Um, So... Meaning uh, there are twist reveals in the film, not that the film is intentionally lying to us. A little bit. Um yeah. I I I'm glad I think I'm glad for one that it was a struggle to get through that because I think that is fitting. Um since the first I've seen this movie now three times. Um and since my first viewing in theaters, uh I immediately was like, I don't like that. Uh, and nothing in the movie over my three viewings has changed me from the stance that that is my worst thing. (laughs) Um, I think you're right that it is giving information that we're supposed to like correct later, but I feel like everything you get out of that is covered in the film well enough that you don't have to worry about it. That feels like such a, and the way it's presented is so bland and just like, here's some font. It's almost hard like it doesn't take up the whole screen. It it it's yeah. very much in the middle of the screen. It looks weird. Uh it it doesn't really jive and like within 10 minutes or so of the movie starting, um we get some di- non-diegetic music. And that I think makes it really hard to get into the film because we're combining these things of like, uh oh, the movie's just kind of throwing like telling you things. It's not really demonstrating how this world works. Um, there's already just a few, like totally outside of what is actually happening in the story. There's a few things too early on that I just think make it feel not, uh, it it makes it harder to get into than it needs to be. Uh, I'm sure that that was a focus group thing. I'm sure that that was a, people aren't understanding what's happening in this movie. Uh, and I say, who cares? They'll figure it out. They, they, they'll, they'll roll with it. Guardians of the Galaxy did not need a opening credits thing. And that has a bunch of random characters. Um, not a one-to-one comparison because this movie is more dense than that, but, uh, I, I think that people would just 
figure it out. <laughs> and I think that that is like an, a very jarring thing. That is a, the type of thing that to me, as a casual audience member, you would look at and immediately be like, wow, this movie is going to make me think way too much for something I just wanted to pop into on a Friday to catch the newest Marvel movie. Uh, I also feel I, like it makes it feel more complicated than it is. Yeah. No, it's funny comparing it to uh, movie the movie we did last week, Dune, because um, we were talking all sorts of comparisons between that and the original film, and that it doesn't have an opening title crawl <clears throat> for the uh, the 80s version, but it obviously has the opening uh, kind of monologue trying to explain things. And it's just like, mm-hmm. no, 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 stop explaining. The more you explain, the, the more complicated this is yep. becoming and the more confused I am. Um, and so, it's, I mean, it's just a matter of finding natural ways to... Uh, kind of get through that stuff in within the film um you know i i I think you can use opening crawls effectively i think obviously star wars is the Mm -hmm. big example but that's not nearly as complicated um uh blade runner out of the nine star wars are the big example right and also star wars like there's a it's more visually dynamic because you're in space and it's going slanty and stuff yeah i thought that was Probably the other part that confused me the most about the opening crawl is just it's very bland. Like, it feels yeah. like somebody threw it in, like, the night of the premiere mm-hmm. of just, like, oh, God, we got to scramble to get this thing together. Yeah, and I, I think that the movie does struggle some with how to get exposition across because there is a lot, and it's a long movie, and there's a lot to keep track of if you have no bearing for any of these characters. Uh, all of that, I think, and, and making you struggle a bit to understand and, and slowly mesh up with what's happening all of that i feel like is preferable to this being your first impression of the movie which i feel like i am harping on a lot but i I genuinely think that it is like the only thing in the movie that i look at and i say throw that out do not want that get out of here (laughs) like that that was a bad decision no i i completely agree that's actually going to be my worst thing as well just gonna jump on that that was the one time because we actually watched this in a group setting. Britain, you had to leave about halfway through. But uh, yeah, Tyler, I don't know if uh, maybe you remember better than I do. I think that was the only time I was actively complaining about the movie. Mm-hmm. And then I got over it and I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, my best thing about Eternals, I could probably choose from several things. Um, I think... I think ultimately I would say it's the way that the movie manages to make all of the characters feel very much like their own person. Uh, It is a long movie. Um, I think there's maybe some ways you could have chopped some stuff out here and there, rearranged, tried to make the flow work a little better. It does take like where it's like two thirds of the way through the movie before we actually get all of the Eternals back into the fold. Um, so I think there, there are some moments and some structural things that we'll get into about the way it's just laid out. That makes it a little hard to follow and and the flow is not perfect, but I think in terms of each character, they all feel very well realized. The, The performances are all great. Um, I feel like everything is just really strong in the way they're written and the way they come across, uh, helps to like, I think this is a great example of the mcu setting up a movie that regardless of how much people do or do not like it uh these characters could pop up anywhere and suddenly everyone would love them like everyone would be like oh my gosh it's it's fastos or it's uh 
Druig, whoever, like, they, I mean, they may not remember the names because there are a lot of crazy names in this, but they'd see them and be like, that was a fun person. That, oh, that, that person did some cool stuff in that one movie. Like, I think it does that really effectively. And there's nine, eight or nine. There's a million people that are getting set up in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think all of them could now show up anywhere in the MCU and be effective uh, and, and be a character people like. So I think that was really impressively done. I was I was happy with that. Alex, do you want to go ahead and do your best thing since you already said your worst thing as well? Sure. I think my best thing is going to be visuals. I mm, absolutely sure. was blown away by how the movie looked. And I, I'm just really kind of kicking myself because the one Marvel film I decided to sit out of, of going to see in the theater last year was Eternals. I went to go see Black Widow and obviously that was just, it, it's a fine film, but like as a theater going experience, it's yeah. kind of a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And Shang-Chi, while there was a lot of um, really fun fight scenes and some stuff that was like, okay, I am glad I saw that in the big screen. I, I, that's not nearly to the same effect yeah. that, that I had with Eternals. Um, and I'm not sure because we watched the Disney Plus release and with a lot of those, they're doing the kind of a... Uh, the aspect ratio cutting yep. between the IMAX and then the normal widescreen format. Um, so I don't know if how much that impacted my, perf- you know, my viewing of the the movie versus actually seeing it on the big screen. Um, but I thought visually this might be the best looking Marvel film aside from like some of the earlier ones, like the first Iron Man and like Thor: The Dark World spring to mind in terms of just like very um, memorable. Um, films in terms of the visuals. I love Chloe Zhao's camera work. I like how she just kind of has these long takes and particularly with just like these crazy sweeping shots where we follow the action in really compelling ways. This doesn't come off to me as a case where they were storyboarding and doing previs three years Mm -hmm. before Chloe Zhao was even announced as the director this feels like it was all her vision, at least on that level. And I really liked that. And I know I know everyone loves the endgame finale. I'm wondering what that movie looks like if Chloe Zhao shoots it after having seen this. And after having sure. seen the third act of this. Um I know there's still yeah. some good stuff in Endgame. I'm not completely poo-pooing that because there, you know, it, it is still a good movie and there's there's a lot I, to like in it. This is I've been waiting on a Marvel movie to look like this for like six or seven years. <laughs> I think with Endgame, there's an extent to which some of that is like, you you need someone with a TV brain <laughs> to figure sure. out how to stage all of that uh, and make it happen logistically. But you're right. Like uh, this, I mean, it, it really does look spectacular. Uh, uh, it, it, it took me a while, I think to grow on, like I, I don't want to get too far into this because I will totally go off on a tangent and steal uh, the time from Britain's best and worst thing. But um, yeah, I, I think that it it just feels totally different um, stylistically from a lot of the stuff we've gotten. And I hope it is. I mean, it kind of like with Shang-Chi where that is some action we haven't really gotten in the MCU. This is some visuals we haven't really gotten in the MCU. And I hope that that's i think it will continue to happen given the directors they're kind of getting on board and the creatives they're getting on board uh i i hope we continue to see that shine through of like 
they're letting people do their own thing a little bit more because now you can have something like an Eternals that is, oh, maybe it's critically very mixed. But now you can point to that and be like, hey, we get we let Chloe Zhao do this thing. That's kind of our our experiment there um, and continue to build off of those kind of things so that then you have something that's really like creatively rich and artistically rich compared to maybe a lot of the output that's come before. So I think it's neat. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm a little worried because just the all the other Marvel films that were released in 2021 and the one that reached what is it at like 2 billion now. Um yeah. I spoilers, I liked No Way Home, fair enough, but on a visual level this this to me is just like it is a leaps and bounds ahead of any MCU film. Um I guess Guardians 2 is the another yeah. one that I would throw into the no that movie I remember for the visuals a camp. So I apologize for not having that the first time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want more of this and I don't care if it has a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. I want more of this, please, please, sir, Kevin Feige. May I have some more? (laughs) I am quick note on the visuals. I agree. I think it's a wonderful looking movie. It felt really dimly lit to me a lot. And even when I was watching it like at night with the lights off, it's like I just needed it to be a little brighter. It didn't bother me as much as it did in Loki, which I didn't really like Loki very much, partially mm-hmm. because it felt like the whole show was just dim. Um, maybe it's my TV. I, I don't know. But uh, I do think there are some really stunning images um, towards the end in particular and some great, uh, great action photography. Um, I do like the movie, but... I, I I definitely I think I like it the least of the three of us, and I know I'm kind of the like the warm-hearted one of the group. But today I'm gonna be the coolest. I would say that Britain did just put on sunglasses. I did. <laughs> that's not that's not a bit. no. I literally am wearing sunglasses now. Um, I am well. There's idiot. your pro- you were wearing the sunglasses during that the movie, was the you? problem. The- well, I wanted I wanted Chloe to know how cool I was and yeah. aloof when I came to see your big movie. Yeah. I, I doubt she's on. I sincerely doubt that woman's on Twitter. So I was going to say I tweeted at her. I sincerely doubt she wastes her time. You Britain. tweeted at a fan account of Chloe Zhao that you did not realize. <laughs> Chloe Zhao that. underscore. Yeah. Britain, I've got I've got this visual of you just sitting in the back of a theater with the sunglasses on trying to take notes on like a pen and pad. <laughs> and it's like, ooh, I've got them now. <laughs> uh, but no, I... Um, I, my, my, I always hate being the negative one. I really do. When, when I feel like there's a, a, a difference of opinion. Uh, but I guess just to kind of leap into it, my, succinctly put, and I, I am not saying this to come after Tyler, my best thing is the cast and my worst thing is the characters. Um, which is to say, I, I am, we, everybody knows that I tend to focus a lot on the actors in movies. Like that's the, the, the thing that generally dra- draws me to movies mm-hmm. and that's, one of the things that got me into movies and like that is a big drawing po- selling point for me. And I, I may not always catch the, the way that like Alex, that you will note little plot in con- uh, contrivances or little holes or gaps in the plot. I do that with acting and I'll, I'll see a performance and I'll go like uh, the way you titched your eyebrow right there. That was weird. Like, I don't know you, the, that delivery was a little hinky to me and which is totally snobbish and nitpicky of me. Um, and so generally, That's why we're here, I guess. 
But it's like I'm I'm the I'm the one who watched Inglorious Bastards and thought Christoph Waltz gestured too much. <laughs> like that was my big note for that. Um, oh, we've got to watch Green Hornet if that's the case. <laughs> I feel like I'll approach that with a different expectation. Sure. Nope. 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 Same level. Same <laughs> level. But, but all all of this to is a, is to to build to say I feel like a lot of movies Marvel definitely does this for me, but a lot of movies in general I think sometimes the casting is more promising than what we actually get in the final product. Sure. This is a movie with a lot of characters and a lot of actors. And I think everyone in the movie does a really good job. I wish that I, I just felt like it was either not enough screen time for some characters or not rich enough versions of what they got for other characters. I was not expecting Gemma Chan to be such a major character, but that was cool. Mm-hmm. And I think she, I think everyone did a good job. But like Makari Lauren Ridloff is barely like sure. barely registered to me in terms of having like a personality. And I like that she's in it. I loved all the ASL and I loved, I really loved the way she was used in action sequences. Like I loved the, mm-hmm. the when she and Icarus are fighting and there's fighting the deviants and where she's like doing the multi-directional punches or just like stopping and using like a gust of wind. I think I, that's so creative and fun. Britton, I did have the comment and I felt bad because you, you had left at this point. I did lean over to Tyler and go, X-Men Apocalypse, eat your heart out. <laughs> I mean, it's like all of that I thought was really great, but I never really got a sense of like, who she was and i just feel like i wanted like richer versions of these of these characters and over three hours that both is and isn't uh feasible i guess um i don't know why angelina jolie was british (laughs) everyone else in the movie is using their natural accent i was really glad that they just let richard madden Mm -hmm. be scottish and they were like Mm -hmm. no just talk man whatever and I was like, it's such, and I don't, I haven't seen a lot of her movies. And so I had a moment where I went, is she British? No, she's not British. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I was really happy that Icarus turns out to be an antagonistic character. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost a trope where the seemingly handsome prince character turns out to be a bad guy. I don't, I, I don't want it to be the new standard of how that character is done, but I think it has worked to the benefit of things like Frozen or uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the two or three mm. seasons I've seen of that, um, or even something like uh, 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 The Boys in Homelander, where you have a character that is like a, a Brett Dalton's character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I was like, yeah, he's a guy in a TV show. And then, spoiler, it turns out he's a bad guy. I was like, this yep. character is now interesting, and this performance yep. is really interesting yep. now. And that kind of that kind of thing I really like. And I think uh, I, I like that they did this with Richard Madden because in the early parts of the movie, I kept thinking, and I and I really don't mean to to to, to be countered to a "Here Come the Sequels" uh, uh, banner. This movie for a while was my the evidence I would present for why I don't want Richard Madden to be James Bond. <laughs> sure, which is to say, I think Richard Madden is a super talented actor. And I don't want him to just be bland action guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he easily could be. And No Time to Die was a brilliant acting opportunity for Daniel Craig. But it also took until No Time to Die for me to yeah. feel like Daniel Craig, like, like James Bond was an acting opportunity. And I just wouldn't want Richard Madden to be kind of sequestered into that when he's, he did something like Bodyguard, which inverts and kind of dissects the, the action guy character and, and, and examines it in a really interesting way. Um, or even something where you can just kind of walk on and steal the movie in 1917. I would love to see him have like a Dan Stevens kind of career where he just starts doing like sure. weird stuff. Um, yeah, and so like all, that of, 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> He'd be fun in that. But he, so, so when they had that twist, I was like, oh, that's interesting for Icarus. And it gives Richard Madden yes. stuff to chew on. Um, and it's very clear, like on a rewatch, it's very clear that that's how he's playing it in the first sure. section, yes. which is very cool to, yeah. I don't know how, I'll, I'll be curious and we can get into this about how, how each of you felt about the twist from like a plot standpoint and if it was mm-hmm. buried well enough. Um, yeah. I, I definitely that, would be interested because I I, I, I can see myself rewatching this at some point and being able to watch how that that yeah. is seeded in his performance. Um, and I think it just comes down to like, maybe I had built up what these performances were going to be like in my head mm-hmm. before I saw it. Um, but I, I, I just felt like kind of throughout, I was like, I... Maybe I just want a richer version of what I'm getting. I think Brian Tyree Henry is is wonderful in this. I generally yeah. he he tends to give one of the best performances in whatever he's in. He's yeah. terrific. Um, I really liked Kumail, even if I felt like some of his joke the, the written jokes for him were kind of limp. I just like Kumail Anjani a lot. Um, and I, we can get into the filmmaking reasons as to why he just isn't at the finale. Sure. Um, I but, actually think that's kind of brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, and, I, and I'm interested to talk about it because I, I don't hate it. I'm just it's a, it's an interesting. Choice. It is interesting. So, I, so I'm I'll be interested to to talk about it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just feel like it's a it's a really great cast of actors that I just wanted something a little a little more from. Um, but uh, like thinking back on it, there's no performance that I don't like, and there's no character that I don't understand. Yeah. Um, I feel like, except I think Makari could have just had they. There could have been more to her character as opposed to yeah. we found her in a lab, mm-hmm. and there's She's music very playing. Fast. And I rather meanly thought, why is there music playing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. She can sense the vibrations. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She and if that's like where she and Druig hang out, then there you go. Sure. Um. But yeah, there we go. So, yeah. so should we just start with talking about Kingo since we've already mentioned it? Yeah. So, so when they're going to do the big, the big final fight, where they're like, we have to, to stop the the Tiamat from waking up, which is this giant celestial, um, and results in some of my favorite images when the giant hand is just freezing. Mm-hmm. That's gorgeous. There are gorgeous shots of that. They're all gonna go and stop Icarus, and Kumail's character is like. I can't side with you guys. I don't want to do this. And then he's just not there. And I wondered, because it was, I, I kept during that fight being like, is he going to show up and like, yeah. you know, somebody's being pinned down and then he'll show up with his finger guns and save them or, or what. And I wondered if that was like, I was like, is this a, was it a COVID thing? And then they, he wasn't able to make it. Maybe he tested positive And then he had, they had mm. to come back and re- like rewrite, reshoot a scene where he disagrees and doesn't go. Because he's he's at the end end of the movie and they're all still connected, but it's just an interesting thing to me that King goes just. I, I wondered if there was a filmmaking reason why Kumail Nanjiani isn't in that scene. I, don't I understood s- King goes reason. I don't see how they would have pulled off swapping him on the fly like that if it yeah. was something like that. Sure. I really feel like it was because in that in that sequence, um, and this dives into a million other things we could talk about, but. Um, Icarus is basically like, yeah, I killed Ajax and I'm not going to let you stop this celestial from happening because that's our job. Um, and Sprite sides with him. Uh, Kingo is like, all right, man, you're the boss. I don't know. Uh, like, it makes sense to me. I, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna let you do your thing. Um, and I feel like there was one other 
person who has kind of a different reaction. Maybe not. I mean, Gilgamesh is dead. So (laughs) there is that. Like, I, I think it's really interesting that, and this, I think to me is where the character stuff comes in. Uh, which I will say a lot of that is probably having seen it a few times and sure. it, it's growing on me more than I expected it to. I, after the first viewing, I was kind of like, okay, I like that. Um, and the more I sit with it, the more things connect for me in, in a way that I enjoy. Uh, but I think that uh, that scene is, is really well done to me. And I like that they all have different reactions. They all yeah. kind of have their own personality and their own approach to it. Um, I guess Ajax is also dead, but uh, they, the fact that it's not, we have this team and this team is doing a thing and it's actually like all these people, it makes all these people feel very independent and very much they're doing what motivates them. Like Brian Tari Henry, he's got to save his family. Right. Um, Jim and Chan is, uh, I can't, and of course I'm using their, the actor's name instead of the characters, which is underscoring maybe your point, Burton. But uh, um, Cersei is like, you know, I've, I've really come to love humanity. I think that they're very special. Uh, obviously, Sprite is motivated by the frustrations she has with being a child eternally. Uh, I said the thing. And also being in love with Icarus. Uh, I just think it's, it's... I really like how they all have a different connection and a different response to each other. And I think they pretty effectively get scenes with a lot of these characters doing different interactions together. That brings that across where it's like, it, it gives you that feeling that these are people that could be seen as gods because they're all doing their, their own thing. And they're being, uh, they're, they're establishing their own, I guess they all kind of have egos. <laughs> Maybe it's a good way to put it. So they're, they're all, they, they come across as someone who's like, I am doing the thing I want to do because I believe this is the right way to do it. Um, even if they are following Ajax for a, a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, I think, I think to me, that was just a creative decision. That's what it felt like is like Kingo was basically saying, all right, we got to the bottom of this. I'm, that's, yeah. that makes sense. I'm, you know, I'll, I'm going to duck out. Um, and I like that a lot. I think that's a cool. No, it's definitely a bold choice. And like I said, I, I'm not against it. I was just curious about it. I, I wondered yeah. about it. And I guess it also raises the stakes that like one of our combatants isn't here. Yeah, since they had set up through the previous like flashback to action sequences, we have our like ground team who go in mm-hmm. and do the fighting, and then the other ones kind of come in and and help out. Which is, um, Alex, I, uh, just a moment, Alex, we'll get to you. There's, uh, <laughs> I, I really liked, and we'll talk about this. Seeing how Fastos and Cersei especially use their powers in mm-hmm. fight scenes, I thought was really creative, uh, and and a lot of fun. But we'll we'll get to that. So, Alex, your thing about Kingo. Yeah, so I've got a, a couple of thoughts about kind of Kingo deciding to leave because I think that's one of there's just a bunch of weird kind of more subtle subversions that the movie does. It's I don't think it's super overt with them, which is why I mm-hmm. think it kind of works. Um, like Icarus being Superman and they make jokes about him being Superman. I think this is the final nail in the trope of we're making Superman evil. Like I yeah. think this is like the last time it's it could be done in an interesting way. Just. Let's let's put the brakes on that for like a decade. Right. Um, keep doing Homelander because he's already nuts. Yeah, but n- and, no. Well, but and that, that whole show has a different yes exactly. <laughs> yeah. concept. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Kingo deciding to leave, I think the the reason it works so much for me is that it's seeded really well. Because basically, from the beginning, he's talking about like the 
benefits of, of letting humanity die and, and so that billions might live across these other planets that are created from Earth's destruction. Like he talks, about, he mentions that multiple times yeah, before yeah. the actual conflict is brought forward. Um, I, I think it would be different if he was just kind of like snap decision of like, oh, I I don't want to fight anymore. Bye. Um, yeah. But then also, I think that that serves as a very nice way to not have forced comedic relief in the third act, which Marvel movies yeah. sometimes have an issue with. Yeah. So. I will say I, I I thought he played the dramatic beats really well when yeah. mm-hmm. when he was given those occasions. Uh, I'm I'm a big big fan of the Big Sick. Um, mm-hmm. His yeah his, his movie it's a wonderful movie and he gets to 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 do a lot of great acting in that movie and it was nice to see him get a, a little taste of that. And, yeah. and I'm glad that they didn't write him out of the movie entirely. They're just like no he doesn't show up to that scene. But when the movie's over, you're like Kingo's still around. Like Kamala's still in this universe and conceivably we'll get more of him later. Yeah. And not to say that Kumail couldn't have handled all the dramatic no, stuff course, that comes course. with the, that third act. I just, I would get antsy and get worried well, that Marvel writers would go, no, we've got the funny guy in the third act. Have him make the jokes that ruin yeah. the dramatic and, beats. Yeah. And it, it almost, it's almost playing it logically like, okay, this is a guy who, he can take some things seriously. He can be, you know, he's an asset to the team, but he is also uh, very flippant. And, and isn't you know totally invested in in whatever the rest of the team is invested in so it's like well naturally that guy would not go for like would not go up against insurmountable odds in right. this fight like naturally a comedic relief type of character is not going to be the type of person who if there's someone who feels like they can go off and do their own thing they probably will just do that instead i think that's yeah i think you're right that's a really interesting like what if we actually played out what this kind of person would be because real life does not have comedic relief characters you've got people who might be funny uh but they have their own personalities and we've we've seen that in this guy so i think that's really interesting i also really liked um varun his valet Mm -hmm. i thought that character was effectively comedic relief yeah Um, and and camille is obviously a very funny performer as is brian tyree henry yep um it's it's like you said, Alex. It's a, it's a, it's like a script thing of just like we don't need a joke right there. Yeah, we can like Avatar: The Last Airbender. I think balances all those the action and comedy and drama really beautifully. And 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 I, yeah, I, I I agree with you. Uh, but I liked Varun a lot. I I thought he was funny and and sweet and everything. But I liked that at the end when Kingo leaves and Varun goes with him, he becomes like the proxy for humanity, saying thank you for looking after us and mm. for everything you've done. And like that's a very touching moment. Uh, that I felt very like I've, I was quite moved by that because one it kind of drives it home for the rest of the Eternals that like no this is the benefit of it but yeah it's just this really lovely moment and it's kind of the the other good way to do a character like that compared to Suicide Squad and Milton because and, yeah. and and we all praise like the Suicide Squad for having Milton and we thought that was a funny bit and it was a good joke and it and it that didn't detract from the dramatic beats of that yeah and I think they both found a way to like, we have a non superpowered person just tagging along with our team. And I think this movie balanced like him being funny, but also him being there for a thematic purpose really nicely, which it doesn't right. always happen. Yeah. When the, uh, the, uh, the Xander of the group is, is there. The Xander cage of the group, the Xander cage of the group. There are three of them. Uh, I, I think many times I've said it, <laughs> I think 
the thing that really kept me going because this is a long movie and kind of as we were starting it, I was a little bit concerned and the opening crawl and all of that. I, I think the what kept me going was just it's just a weird like sci-fi religious epic type mm-hmm. thing. It's just it's so different. And I really latched on to a lot of just the really neat sci-fi concepts and just this the fact that all of our heroes are are just kind of split down the middle on this philosophical debate. Um and I, I I think it's just really, really beautifully handled. And I see both sides to that debate. And it's just it, it felt it felt very Star Trek in a way. Mm-hmm. It felt like a, a a weird moral conundrum. Um and aside from Civil War, which ultimately is not about that, it's about the personal relationship between uh Captain America and Iron Man. Yep. Um this movie kind of like it sticks with that. It sticks with that whole philosophical debate. Um and ultimately our characters do end up siding one way and seemingly pay the consequences for that at the very end, which Yeah. Like all of that was just like my mind was spinning. <laughs> I was just like this is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to need some we can get there, but I definitely need Tyler to clarify for me what happens at the end of the movie. Yeah, I've got I think there's like eight things I want to talk about, about the ending of this movie with relations relate with regards to the comic book. Yeah. Uh, lore, I guess. Um, but what I really want to kind of get into for me, cause I think what, what I find really engaging about this is the fact that it's, it's clearly, I don't even know what the word for it is. It's clearly, uh, alluding to, the Snyder style. Sure. Uh, I, and, I and think Chloe Zhao has, has come out and said that man of steel was actually an inspiration of hers for this. Yeah. I think it's very obvious. I think you can yeah. tell from the way that the stuff with Icarus is shot, especially like there are scenes that look like, you know, you, that could just be Henry Cavill, Superman, uh, you know, grabbing a deviant in, from the sky and throwing it and blasting it and throwing it some more. Like he yeah. likes the laser eyes. Yeah, he Godzilla's a deviant down the throat with his laser yes. eyes. It's yes. great. <laughs> it's great. It's very cool and it's very well done. And I think again, it's it's such a neat way to address. Like this, this team feels like the Justice League fighting Superman at the end. Yeah, uh, you've got Makari who is doing all the like stuff that the flash would do in that kind of scenario. Um, It's really fascinating and it's a way because these are more obscure characters. It's a really cool way to take them and be like, all right, what if I line these up better with, you know, the analogs of uh, the DC characters? Like what if I explore that a little bit of, you know, DC heroes, a lot of those are, and the way that Snyder clearly was portraying heroes in his movies like these are gods these are uh you know above humanity and they're really they're really trying to decide how they are judging and how they're like bringing uh their designs to humanity as opposed to a lot of marvel heroes that are very we're we're just trying to live check to check and uh make make rent and this door is still broken uh (laughs) and like i think that that's a really cool way to look at this and be and see okay here's this property that no one has any real investment in or interest in it's going to come completely out of nowhere no one's going to connect with this on a uh you know nostalgia way or anything like that except for really hardcore comic book fans and even then i mean the eternals the eternals get portrayed a lot of different ways in 
comics they they just like are always all over the place um and kind of just used for whatever the author wants to use them for uh so i think that to take them and say okay what if i make a bit of an analog to the justice league show these show these characters throughout history you know saving humanity and then make them have to make a judgment call about humanity uh and and they butt heads over that that's awesome i think that's a really cool idea and it it comes across more and more the more uh, i absorb it um and i think it's really well done to, to have it be like what if superman decided actually it's it's for the betterment of the universe if humanity dies and the rest of the team did not agree with him uh that's really cool and that's exactly what the movie is doing i think it's very intentional um i love the way they're able to take icarus out of the fight for a while at the end i love that icarus ultimately decides uh because of his relationship with cersei that through her he understands the the drive to try and save humanity from this and that that is what ultimately is is how he is like you know what i i can't go against this i have to let this happen and let their plan carry out because i see through her why she loves humanity so much but also i'm very conflicted and i'm going to go kill myself uh like that's i I think it's uh, there's a lot going on there um a lot more it's a lot more self-aware than most superhero movies and that includes mcu films um it 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 is saying something it it is meta about yeah. superheroes uh and i don't know that really any mcu movie has done that quite that same way they don't flat out say that superman and batman are fictional characters in the universe <laughs> yeah <laughs> they haven't done that in any other of the films mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's i a point to this movie that it it has the character named Icarus kill himself by flying into the sun. And it doesn't feel stupid. <laughs> like, it felt poignant and touching instead of like, oh, okay, you're doing the Icarus. Yeah. Um, which I liked. So, I... Okay. <laughs> At the end of the movie, Ajak and Icarus are both dead. The other... What happened? Because because Arashem shows up, this big celestial, bigger than the Earth. I call him the big guy. The big guy. The big guy. Big red guy. That's and how he... I have him written down in my notes. And he grabs Cersei and who else? Two other people. I think it's Cersei, Fastos. Does he grab Makari and Druig? Maybe. I can't I quite remember. Yeah, he he grabs. I know he grabs Cersei because he's he's talking to Cersei and he says all these cryptic things. Does he take them somewhere? Or no, no, Makari Druig and Angelina Jolie are on the ship. Oh, yep, that's right. Yeah, yep. yeah. So he grabs like Fastos and all of them and like says cryptic stuff to them and then disappears. Does he take them somewhere or does he put them back on Earth? I think, I think the idea is that he was taking them somewhere to face judgment for their quote-unquote crimes. Okay, yes. okay, yeah. Because then Kit Harrington, who I thought was quite fun in this, was was left uh, in the park in his pretty red scarf. 
Mm-hmm. Um, freaking out about and it, it was quite interesting hearing uh, Rob Stark and Jon Snow yell Cersei a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. In, in pure Kit Harrington fashion, he did know nothing for basically the entirety of the film. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> very true. That's good. Um, yeah. So, because Arisham's basically like, "All right, I'm taking y'all. We're gonna, I'm gonna see if." This he's like I'm gonna analyze your memories and see if it mm-hmm. makes sense to keep humanity alive because you just did a big no no. Um, yeah, you guys made a, a big decision here without consulting yeah. <laughs> the the big guy. Let me uh <laughs> I'm gonna uh, rewind the clock and check the footage there. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and so then he takes him and is like, I'm going to do a judgment on humanity. Uh, and that is the idea behind the Eternals, which were much like this movie feels like created sort of entirely separate from the Marvel comics universe and eventually integrated back in. Uh, but it was kind of just a passion project from Jack Kirby. Um, and there's this idea of the celestials coming to pass judgment over humanity and like doing things every time they, they come to every few thousand years, they come to earth and they do a thing, uh, of, of some sort <laughs> right. in, in the vaguest terms. Um, and so that's really cool. I like that that's how that integrates the idea of, oh, the Celestials are now going to be casting judgment on Earth because of this thing. Uh, and yeah, that, that's where it is. I don't know if we want to get into all the comic book stuff yet or if we have more things to talk okay. about because uh, I'll just start like going off on tangents and sure. being confused. Um, and okay. excited. But well, confused. well that, and that, that, that answers that concern. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I did have a short list of just kind of like broad, like plot setup questions. Okay. One, what are the Eternals? Yeah. yeah. Well, so the Eternals, the prime celestial Erishim. Uh, <laughs> the big guy. Yes. Parentheses, uh, the big guy. Do you know what an EMP is? It's very important to all of this. Um, I want to make a movie one day where the opening is just. The description of an EMP. I mean, it's, there's an opening title crawl. EMP I mean, noun. The, the movie that that we will make is going to be called EMP, but it's going to yep. end up being like a romantic comedy. Yeah. I just right. uh, like two like uh, two people are reaching for their same code at the coat check, and there's like a shock. Oh, I just felt an EMP. What's <laughs> an EMP? Oh, uh, nothing. I, I probably wouldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> And we've already got one page written down. We've got <laughs> Beautiful. Need like 75 more and we've got a full screenplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the things that people might look at and be like, isn't that a plot hole or, you know, something like that? Um, so Erishem, once Ajak is dead, he decides to bestow the new leadership responsibilities to Cersei. Um, and he kind of explains, oh, the deviants were actually a mistake of mine. I kind of messed up in the, the creation process in the, the art room, um, when I was, Mm -hmm. I was drawing them up. So I had to create you guys to take care of them. Um, and that way we can kind of have this whole planet destroying thing to, to lead to new worlds. Um, why does he tell Cersei his whole plan? Wouldn't it be to his benefit to just keep it a secret and just not tell any of the Eternals? Maybe that's well, part of the real plan. Well, so, like, Ajax knew it the whole time. 
and Age which I mean, I, I I would also ask the question of why does anyone on the Eternals because, know? Well, because the idea is that he's expecting the Eternals to just do his bidding. Like he's just like, sure. okay, you're Eternals, you get you get the picture. You're you're here to make Celestials happen. Well, I mean, it's, suppo- you know? it's simply a question of free will versus determinism, and I I like yeah. all of that set up with with you know it affects all of our characters directly. Um, yep. I was just kind of curious about that and the fact that it's like, I, I don't think Erishim is very good at his job. <laughs> well, he, I think it's, I mean, like Ajak is saying, you know, I've never been on a world like I, like Ajak has been able to keep her memories apparently, which I do have some questions about how that works. Um, but yeah. she's like designated as, Hey, uh, Erishim can trust her. He knows she's going to get the job done. So he, t- you know, she know always knows the plan. Um, and the idea is that he's just expecting them all to go along with this. So yeah, he's not thinking about like, Oh, could they be corrupted quote unquote by the race that they're living with? And that could like, it's never happened before. Apparently that the race that they're yeah bringing to fruition so that the celestial can consume their life energy. Uh, that, that race has never before convinced the eternals to actually try and protect them. Yeah. Uh, I guess if, uh, if Erishem feels no empathy for humans, then he right. would not be able to understand the Eternals caring about them, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, Erishem's a big dummy. That's yeah. my point. Correct. I'm going to give this movie an A+. Erishem was a <laughs> dummy. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, and I just, I, I did want to clarify, because I, I wasn't sure if I thought this was too silly or not. The whole mechanism by which they determine that the Earth is ready to be destroyed is just the human population, because apparently the new Celestial runs on, uh, like, collective human intelligence? Is that, is that it? Yeah, just, like, intelligent life is what they say has to, has to reach a certain point where then they can be consumed for the Celestial to be born feels very but, 60s comic book so i'm not totally against it sh- sure i don't <laughs> think that's the same basis we'll talk about that some i can i can get okay. into that i don't think that's the same idea britain did comic. you think that was a bit much I, I i wasn't sure how to feel about that i was still kind of parsing it honestly sure but um i think that leads in kind of into my other point and that was um the the thanos of it all and I think the movie sure. goes to great lengths to be like, why did you guys not go after Thanos? And their argument is, well, he wasn't a deviant and we were ordered to only go after deviants, which fair enough. But then it's revealed later on that this whole thing happens because it's based on human population. So once again, I feel like uh, Twitter Internet trolls would be going, isn't that a plot hole? Because Thanos wiped out half of humanity. Um, and... I would like to go, I, I, I'm, I'm going to argue the other side of this. I would like to go with the assumption that maybe Thanos is wrong and that he has a very flawed argument. And that was the point. Um, sure. cause if you actually look at human, um, uh, population growth over time, like it wouldn't take that long for humanity to yeah. double back in size. Um, maybe like a couple hundred years, which is like the blink of an eye for the Eternals and a celestial. That- so, <laughs> that may, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Is because I mean, look at the the scene where Druig has his falling out with them. He's like, they're, they're genocide is happening right outside, 
And it's like, well, if they really cared about population growth and stuff, they'd go out and save everyone. Yeah, stop, like, stop I think it's just stuff. that on a more macro scale. They're, yeah, they're basically saying, like, once the deviants are out, the Celestials are telling the Eternals, once the deviants are out of the way, which is a fun sentence to be able to say about an actual <laughs> movie that came out made by Marvel Studios. I it's great! As a, as a fan of the comics, that is neat. Um, but, yeah, they're basically like, get the deviants out of the way. Humanity will do its own thing. And the, it'll, or it, I mean, they're not even really looking at it from a humanity perspective. But, like, this intelligent life form will come up to speed because you've gotten rid of the deviants. And that's all you need to worry about. And so I guess th- that's probably the best way to look at it is, eh, this guy isn't actually doing anything major. So look, I, I don't yeah. think I don't think Infinity War is the problem. I think Age of Ultron's the problem. That, Ultron that wanted to the... wipe out humanity. Why this why, why weren't they taking out the big robot in the sky? Yeah. That's a good question. Maybe they were on their way and then <laughs> they were gonna be like, Alright, we gotta figure out a big machine to stop the yeah. island from or not the island, stop Sokovia from falling and destroying the world. And Kingo just kept, kept making jokes about Sokovia. That's really what this place is called. That's where we're going. Sure. Sokovia? Uh, really? I was going to say you missed the, the deleted scene where they arrive after it. And he goes, oh, sorry, the Uber driver took forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's the scene where Vision is talking to Ultron and Vision's like, well, you know, a thing's not beautiful because it lasts. And then he destroys Ultron. And then the Eternals walk into the woods. And like, <laughs> did, did we miss it all? Did, oh, none of it? no. Yeah. I was born yesterday. Did somebody say yesterday? <laughs> and they show up. We've known a million yesterdays. <laughs> um, but that was all I had. And obviously a couple of those I, I kind of I, I basically just wanted to bring up kind of talking points that I had yeah. heard online in terms of people like lambasting the movie. And I'm like that most of that really doesn't seem like a big deal, especially compared to the other movies that you claim are like the best movies ever <laughs> yeah yeah i think there's a lot going on thematically that is more the point i mean kind of the same thing with thanos i think yeah the point of thanos is not oh he has this great argument about the uh way to help life survive in the universe and the heroes need to debate him uh i think it's it's more thanos is willing to sacrifice others to get what he wants and the heroes have to come to terms with how they're going to defeat him in a way that like still basically they have to sacrifice themselves in order to meet his uh his means in the way that he approaches getting to his goals so yeah like that again it's it's and a lot of this came up with and we talked about this with last jedi and things like that like movies that really generally are trying to make a different point it's very easy to get caught up in the logistics and be like plot holes i gotta focus in on those which is not to say that they can't be distracting or they can't you know it's if it's something that stands out to you and you don't like that the movie did it that way then it is what it is but it doesn't also mean that other people can't look over those things and enjoy the what the movie is trying to say yeah and i i don't want to come out and say like if, if you think eternals is a bad movie or you didn't enjoy it that that you're wrong because I totally, I can see where where the turnoffs are. I, yeah. I can see people just not being invested at all in in the mythology or the philosophical stuff. I could I could see be, people being bored to tears by that. There's a reason that Star Trek isn't the most popular thing that sure. exists. Um, and Britain, to your point, I 
to me, I, I do agree. Some of the characters fell a little flatter than maybe I was expecting, but that almost didn't matter to me because of what I was getting out of it. But if you're not getting the same things out of it, you'll, you could be bored to tears and absolutely hate everything in the movie. <laughs> so I, I, I get it to a certain degree. I just, um, I think there's a lot of meat here and there's, there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I think there's a difference between saying someone going, I see what they were doing and it wasn't for me and yeah. saying the, the fact that they did it is bad or, it, or it doesn't make sense or whatever. I think that's a bit of a different. Sure. Yeah. And I will say just a lot of people brought up the length with this one. I didn't feel like it went by that slowly. Um, maybe it's because I had a pause button next to me. But even then, like, it just didn't feel like. I don't remember there being a section of the movie where I was like, oh, my God, can we just. Yeah, I felt like I was pretty because, like I said, well, I started watching with y'all and watched about 45 minutes of it. And then when I picked it back up on my own, I just started from the beginning then I, I skipped a few scenes here and there, um, but mostly I was like, oh, I remember this part and just went 20 or 30 seconds ahead. It wasn't like I skipped tens of minutes or anything because it moves pretty quick. It's got a nice pace. It's got a nice energy to it. Um, I'm always looking at an actor I like, <laughs> so that's that always helps. And yeah, I mean, I just I feel like I have seen. I don't know. I feel like Fast 9 probably felt longer than this. Both times, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I don't really... I had forgotten how long this movie was, and I saw it in theaters, uh, so that didn't stick with me clearly. And then I've, I've been talking about how hard it's been to stay focused on the movies we've just seen, or movies that I've just seen, because I watched them in theaters. Uh, and it did help that both of y'all were there to start with, and like it's just easier to watch a movie with a, a group sometimes if you're all invested. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I was actually really focused and into it, uh, in a way that I hadn't been with some of the other ones, uh, rewatching so shortly after the screening. I think it, it, again, like Alex was saying, there's a lot of meat on the bone. There's a lot to, as you're watching again, because of the way the plot unravels, you can kind of see what was going on earlier on. And there's a lot more to think about throughout, um, I do think to talk about why I'm not like maybe as high on it as you, Alex, I feel like it is shaky in the way it delivers exposition. Some throughout kind of the middle. We don't, we have kind of a second ish act thing where there's a big fight in Druig's camp uh, Mm -hmm. in Latin America. I think, I think it's mostly Mexico actually, maybe. I do actually want to address more of the secondary characters um, after you get through this point, because I thought Druig, Sprite, and Thena were all fascinating characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Angelina's voice, notwithstanding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it Uh, wasn't a bad accent. I want to clarify. It was just... It was was confusing. (laughs) But there was one person who wasn't using their natural accent. Yeah. Yeah. To my knowledge. Um, But I think around then... I mean, that's like a big set piece that establishes the fancy deviant who now can talk, uh, who I think also the deviants are a little bit shoehorned in. They It makes sense. Like they all, they work pretty well alongside the main plot, but that stuff happening kind of alongside Dina's plot line in the third act where they kind of have a separate battle going on. Mm-hmm. Some of that could be tighter, I think. Um, but there is when does 
Cersei get all the exposition. That's when they're in Australia with Gilgamesh and Thena. Yes. Uh, and so, like, they've kind of gotten the band together at that point. They don't have Druig or Fastos, but they've gotten the rest of them together in Australia. And then we go to Druig. There's a big fight with the Deviants. Gilgamesh dies. Then they go recruit Fastos. Then they have the confrontation with Icarus after they're all kind of trying to figure out what to do about the whole deal. Oh, no, then they go to Makari as well. So Makari's yeah, yeah, not yeah. in any of this. Um, so, yeah, that that is a little strange to me that it takes that long to keep picking up these characters. And I don't need it to be a, a montage necessarily. Sure, sure. I, I don't even necessar- necessarily need everyone to feel equal in screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think from a structure, like a plot structure standpoint, it is strange to keep introducing these characters we we get to know them some in flashbacks but to keep introducing what these characters are up to in the modern day as we're still progressing so far through the main plot and what's actually happening uh some of that feels messy to me and kind of overlaps in ways that i think don't help with the fact that there's so much information to be taking in where you kind of have to to shift and be like okay now i'm now i'm figuring out what this new character is up to (coughs) or at least this reintroduced character is up to Okay, now I'm figuring out what the Celestials are up to. Now I'm trying to understand what the Eternals are planning to do about the Celestial Emergence. There's a lot of different modes that as a viewer you kind of have to flip through uh, on a first watch of this to understand everything that's happening. Yeah, I feel like I'd have to watch it again to determine if that's a problem for me or not. Because, like I said, this felt like like an old epic in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I agreed that the length was not a problem. In, in the same way that like old epics from the '60s, like length is not a problem just because they they take their time and they they know exactly what they're doing. Um, I liked that we just continued throwing in more and more characters <laughs> and kind of just letting it breathe and, and letting us explore this world. Um, because I I you know we have seen the reverse. I don't want this to be a Suicide Squad. I don't want us sure. to throw all the characters together in several montages within like a 10 minute span. Um, and then we throw in one more at the end. I wonder who's going to die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the man who can climb anything. Um, yes. (laughs) Or in this case, the man who can fly over anything. Um, but yeah, and none of that really bothered me. And it'd be interesting if I, if I catch on a, on a second watch, if it's like, Oh, they're repeating exposition there. I feel like they've already had this conversation. Like, I'm curious if if I if I'll pick up on any of that or not. I don't think there is much repeating. I think really what sticks out to me is the big info dump from Arishim. Yeah, because that feels like it could be done more gracefully. Um, there there's a good that's a good like five minute sequence of him just telling Cersei what's going on. I kind of um, like that because it's, it's it's such a huge shock. I like how it's just like, here's more and more and more. <laughs> right. But that's why I'm like, I I would like that to be less obvious how they're getting the information across. Sure. I don't know. It It is a little jarring. Uh, and again, it's about that mode switching of like trying to keep track of all the different through lines that are happening here and, and both thematically, logistically, plot wise, what is happening yeah, there's there's several layers to it to keep track of, and, and it'd be nice if they were integrated a little more at points. I think the only thing structurally that really bugged me, and I'm not going to keep beating this horse, is just that in terms of re, re, rebuilding the team, Makari felt like such an afterthought. Yeah. And I didn't need her to get a long sequence 
but apparently she's just been reading books <laughs> for yeah. year and well, like she's been collecting things it seems like yeah she's yeah that's true stuff in the demo but but it just felt like oh and there's makari and it would now be nice it would be nice if there was something not to make the movie longer but if there was something where she like popped up and then went back to the demo sure sure like, yeah so, something uh, yeah i i agree I wonder, I mean, she seems like a, a perfect character to, to, you know, just have show up in a random Marvel thing and be like, oh, yeah, totally. Let her have a fun thing to do. Yeah. yeah just have just her show up in out. Hawkeye <laughs> season two. Yeah. I mean, which is good, a good segue. Be an, be an echo. <laughs> yeah. Not, not um, to just put all the deaf characters in one thing, but you, you could, could. Yeah. You also you, could do you, that. You could do stuff with that as long as you do it yeah. well. Um, but uh oh, yeah let's let's talk about the stuff that they're doing at the end of this movie yes um because yes first of all we leave on a cliffhanger of what what's the what are the celestials going to do about earth because now it's a problem um but also you have the like we said makari uh druig and thena are on the domo floating out there because they're going to find Olympia so that they can do things. Do they do they say exactly what they're trying to do? Or are they just like trying to go find it so they can put a stop to it? Or I can't remember. I don't remember if they say exactly what like what kind of journey they're going on. But um Pip the Troll, played by Patton Oswalt, and yep. Eros, played by Harry Styles, show up. <laughs> uh which is a very fun little scene. Pip the Troll could probably use a little bit of work on the design and the animation. It's an end credit scene. I'm not too concerned. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But that's really fascinating because Eros is the brother of Thanos. That's that's a comic thing. Real uh, quick, is Ronan the accuser his brother too? No. Okay. Ronan's a dude. He's just he's a just creed. a guy with a hammer. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's just a very Lee Pace looking fella. He's okay. he's a Lee Pace Lee Pace kind of guy. Cool, cool. Cool. Um, and uh, so. There's been a few different origin. There's a current Eternals run going on right now that is very good uh, by Karen Gillan, if anybody cares. Mm. Uh, not Karen Gillan, yeah. but <laughs> Kira. different guy, a, a British guy named Karen Gillan. I think it's Gillan. Yeah, it is. And I thought the movie hurt my brain. Yeah. Um, and the like most updated version of it is that the Eternals were trying to, or two Eternals, <laughs> so this so it's confusing because the the general idea is the same the celestials create both the deviants and eternals there's a different way that that happens but whatever they're they're there on earth um but there's a lot more eternals and they and this goes back to like the 60s stuff there's a lot more eternals and they split off uh th this group splits off there's a i think a couple of different civil wars between the eternals and one group ends up going to titan uh and that's Thanos' homeworld that we see in Infinity War slash Endgame. Uh, I guess just Infinity War. Um, but one group goes there, and they're, like, mostly cool, but Thanos spawns out of them, and then that's, you know, all she wrote. Uh, but the idea in at least this most updated version is that it's like, okay, the Eternals were trying to have uh, children, or two Eternals were, who I'm assuming we'll meet at some point. I don't even want to get into who they are right now, though. And they uh, are trying to have children, and so they have Thanos and Eros 
and like Eros is just another eternal, but Thanos is a monster. Um, and that's probably about the version they're going to go with in the MCU, I guess. But I don't know how we're going to have that happen with the Eternals having been the same group from the beginning. I don't know where we're going to get Thanos' home planet from. And also in Infinity War, we see a bunch of people on Thanos' home planet. So it, it seems like that's a big group. Uh, and Eros does say he's also an Eternal. So I'm very curious where we're going with that and how we're going to Maybe Erosham had more, uh, had more lies. Maybe, 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 yeah, maybe. maybe this wasn't the, the, the only group of Eternals. Maybe so. Maybe there's just a big old eternal enclave of people <laughs> who don't like Erosham or something. No, you know what it is? You know what, what they're flying to go do? They do say there are other Eternals on other worlds. They're saying right. they're trying to go find them so they can free them of their programming. That's right. That's right. Um, so even better that maybe that's exactly what they end up doing in the next movie. And we get into that because they are planning on an Eternals two, two right now, uh, which would be awesome. I'm, I'm really worried that that's going to get axed or something, you know, Oh, no, going to get J. A. Bayona is taking it up. Sure, Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> you know, J. Bayona. Uh, he has a pretty good visual That's eye true. as yeah. well. Yeah, they'd give it to Peyton Reed. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, Ant Man three is going to make like one point two billion or some <laughs> stupid Probably. number, and then they're going to be like, "All right, we'll give him Eternals too. See what happens." No, I, I really hope that, and I. It seems like they're still steering pretty hard into the marketing for it and kind of just being like, yep, Eternals, that's part of the MCU. Enjoy yeah. it. Uh, so I, I don't think they're giving up on that. I think it seems like they're wanting to be a little more creative driven, creatively driven in this phase, but we'll see how that turns out. I'm, I'm concerned in the same way I was concerned about uh, Dune 2, Dune Part 2 before sure, Dune sure. came out. So hopefully we get the same result and, and she can kind of build on this. Um, I also the the other thing about this though is that uh, Eros and especially Pip, Pip, like really like Pip the troll is an Adam Warlock supporting character Ooh. most of the time. So he's he's usually hanging out with Adam Warlock. That's where he's shown up, or sometimes Thanos. Yeah. Um. And like he's also hung out with Eros in comics. But like sure. that's all connected to that. So now I'm like, are any of these characters going to pop up in Guardians Three? Is that going to be a big? surprise like oh fun we get some eternals in here um because that would feel like a natural way to follow up on that end credit scene i don't really know i'm very very curious where they're doing with that um let me see what else is there that sticks out uh obviously the other end credit scene is dane whitman getting the ebony blade uh which is just like a big big evil blade big big evil sword that yeah. Uh, gets used in the comics, and that's how he is the Black Knight. Uh, the I think he's mostly a hero. I'm trying to think if he's like anti-hero-ish, he might be sometimes. Mm. Um, I mean, speaking of of anti-heroes, at the end of that credits, you hear someone say, "Are you sure you're ready for that?" And it's definitely Mahershala Ali. Yes, yes, that's I think been confirmed. Um, oh yeah, it's in the it's, IMDb. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Obviously, that's going to get followed up in Blade, apparently, which is a TV show or a movie. I still don't I, I really don't, know. I don't know. 
I'm honestly just knows. glad that he's been used as much as that he, his voice is in there. So like, okay, this is happening. Look, <laughs> Confirmed. We can't back out. Look, if the movie is Mahershala and Kit Harrington hunting after Jared Leto's Gosh. Morbius, then we've got a winner. <laughs> we've got $1.2 billion right there, my friends. The no, Little good. Things 2. <laughs> That's uh, good. The next, the next movie we know is coming out is Doctor Strange. Yes. What is the next MCU thing? Is it Doctor Strange or Moon Knight? I think Moon Knight. Okay. Doctor Strange is May? Okay. Yes. And then Thor 3... Thor oh, 4. Right. Thor 4? More Thor? They, don't, four, have, more they Thor. don't They don't have the courage to spell it T-H-O-U-R. Correct. Uh, that that I mean, Taika did. That was, that was the one time when Kevin put his foot down. It's like, all right, <laughs> pump your brakes. We'll call it Love and Thunder. Look, either, either we... <laughs> You can call it uh, Thor, Thor four more four, the more more Thor four, love yeah. and thun four. Uh, <laughs> you can call it whatever you want, but if you do that, we have to put a opening title crawl explaining the title, uh, or we just try scrap all of it and call it Love and Thunder. And he was like, "Well, fine." Um, <laughs> I uh, the so with. This this is um, following up on my ongoing Noel is coming conspiracy theory. Uh, no, the sword has nothing to do with Noel in the comics, but that that's that, that's some symbiote looking goo on mm-hmm. that design that they've given <laughs> the sword. Um, that's all. That's I, that's all yeah. I got for that. But I'm just I would just like to throw that out there that uh, you know it's like I said uh, we're we're getting Gore the God Butcher God Butcher who uses. Uh, Oh crap! What I said it last time. What is it called? One of you remembers, right? Nope. Uh, I, there's going to be a quiz at the end, so you better. <laughs> um, all all black, the necrosword. There we go. Uh, <laughs> That's such a. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, Tyler, he... are you sure you didn't make that up? <laughs> no, I'm, this I'm is all serious. black, the necrosword, and it's <laughs> yes. it's awesome. Yes, uh, which is symbiote related and null related first symbiote made by null so there's we got uh, swords we Tyler, got creepy wondered, gooey swords that's all yeah. i'm saying no, I, I, think it's how, coming. I wondered how todd mcfarlane was doing um yeah tyler I'd, I'd like to throw out an opposing theory um and mm-hmm. i think this is just as well researched as yours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you see this movie's all about the origins of humanity and and kind of our place in the world and whether we deserve to live or die there's another big sci-fi epic from not too long ago that that really handles this this theme this idea and it is also now owned by disney and it also heavily features black goo i mean i'm not against it the mighty ducks (laughs) (laughs) specifically d2 the mighty ducks (laughs) we have to uh win this hockey game so that we can save our rink from becoming a tar pit (laughs) okay if they made mighty ducks four and it's like all the adults coming back I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring the tv show for right now if it's all the adults coming back and it's a space jam scenario where they have to play an intergalactic game against, of hockey against, against the xenomorph against yeah. the xenomorph why well, you know the mdu is really taking off yes. <laughs> um the the md avpu <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness me i uh that's a lot <laughs> and you got to think craven the hunter 
you know gotta remember that that's coming whether mm-hmm. we like it or not <laughs> it's gonna be played by tom hardy it's aaron taylor johnson actually yeah, i think it's gonna be tom hardy Confer- confirmed <laughs> pretty sure i just because like i and i my my comic book knowledge before the mcu was was pretty scant but i had heard of all these people thor mm-hmm. and the hulk and their mm-hmm. friends we're now we are like fully into like i have no idea what any of this is which i'm no. fine with i'm into it this is crazy let's get crazy space stuff going also uh wither black cat that's what i'm waiting mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. and it's that ant made prequel spinoff still waiting on my amethyst movie um sure. starring betty gilpin now i'm angry that it doesn't exist mm-hmm. it'd be sydney yeah. sweeney wouldn't it also not a problem anyway <laughs> euphoria is a big show alex you caught up on that yet I know I know you were watching it because it reminded you of your high school experience. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> eerily similar. Is exactly and the more I hear about it the more I'm like I think I'm probably good. Oh yeah, that is not I don't think a show I could handle. I'll be sure. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't I know Zendaya's in it. I know nothing about that show. I, yeah. I think it's got something to use do with drug use. That's all I got. <laughs> I would say that's a a motif. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that is all I know. Yeah, all, yeah. all I see are just like banner ads of Zendaya looking sad, and there's a bunch of neon. That's that's all. I, that's all I see. <laughs> Which isn't not a way to sell me on it. But no, yeah, I mean, I love Nicholas Winding Refn. So seriously, <laughs> love. Um, I enjoy his movie. I'm trying Point to think if there was any other game. lingering things. Um, I did want to address. Uh, kind of the secondary characters because I think it is really cool. And, you know, we obviously are, are all kind of um, happy that they're really doing this with, with kind of these, these, you know, different movies. Um, the diversity of the cast obviously is, is mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a big deal. And it's great that we just have all these, these very different personalities. And that's why I like kind of when you get to that end conflict and they all are kind of coming at it from different angles, it feels like all of that is just kind of like synchronizing and feeding together so well with just the premise of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But I like that all of them just kind of come with their own kind of strengths and weaknesses and their own conflicts. And like, like I said, some of the secondary characters, even if they don't get like the, the biggest amount of screen time, um, I really just like their, kind of conflict overall like druig like all of his stuff where he's just like i want to just save people i don't really care if i have to control their minds to stop them from killing each (laughs) other i just want to say like that's just really interesting that's something you Mm -hmm. i don't see in many superhero movies um and he you when you get to that scene where they find him you almost think he's going to become the bad guy yeah Mm -hmm. because you think like has he created a cult and he's he's the embittered jaded one yeah yeah yeah. And then it subverts it. It's nice. No. Yeah. Um, and then Sprite, I really liked that whole angle of just like she can't age. Um yeah. and even if she tries to present herself to someone that um she wants to try and date, like she can't physically touch them because her yep. power doesn't work yeah. that way. Um and then just the nice choice at the end of of uh Cersei going to her and being like I know you betrayed us, but I, I, I understand your reasons why, and I'm going to give you this option to turn mortal. Yeah. It's sweet. Are, are they all made human at the end? I, I don't know if I just misunderstood no, the line. No, just, it's just Sprite. Yeah. Just Sprite, because okay. yeah, so uh, Cersei was like, I still have power from the uni mind, and so yeah. I'm going to. 
give you a chance to live a normal life, which yeah. is also why Sprite doesn't get like whisked away. Into... Sure. Okay. Cause yeah, I liked there that. Sure. I liked that bit. And I liked this bit about like, I have to go to school now and stuff like yeah. that. Cause the ones who, who, who does Alex and I are trying to parse this out. It's on the ship talking to Eros. It's Makari, Druig and Thena, right? Yep. And then, so I guess it's everybody else except Sprite that, so it's I guess Cersei, and Fastos, and Kingo, I think, are the ones that are actually okay. getting sucked up into the abyss. Yeah, okay. Cool. I like that image, too, of the park and the sky gets really dark mm-hmm. and then this huge face shows up. It's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you said that. This is the last comic book thing I wanted to point on or touch on. Uh, the, mo- the current Avengers run has the Avengers living in a big old dead celestial head as their like base of operations uh i'm curious if that's gonna i assume they're gonna use the celestial popping out of the ground at some point like that's gonna be referenced somewhere uh in the future i assume they're not just gonna drop that i assume there was gonna Um, be a joke where you see a bunch of extras taking selfies with it (laughs) like that was my kind of sure um but I'm curious if that would if they do something with that because we really have no idea what they're doing with the Avengers or sure. anybody moving forward. Um, so be neat if they yeah. referenced that. Um, last thing I wanted to say is that Thena has uh, space Alzheimer's and it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I love how j- just the fact that they're able to use that plot device of like, she just breaks it very inopportune moments. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought that was just an extra wrench wrench in the machine. That was, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. And all, then all that, of her scenes were, were great. That again, feeds back into the, like the, it's like, Oh, this is being caused because her memories are being controlled. Right. Uh, through the celestials. Yeah. So Bill Skarsgård was the evil, uh, was the deviant. Hmm. Or he was Crow, whoever that is, K R O. But I believe he that was the yeah deviant. That makes sense. I was sad that Gilgamesh died. I liked I liked Donald. Yeah. and I liked that he got to carry over his big dad energy from mm-hmm. uh, Train to Busan, where he's like, "My superpower is punching." <laughs> yes, and, and it was also great. pies. Yeah, that was. I really liked his relationship with Thena. That it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a love story, but it's also a friendship, and like he's taking care of her, and I liked all of that stuff, and and it, it, I was surprised and impressed and sad that they just like killed one of the Eternals, because um, with Ajax, it's early enough that you're like, oh, yeah. okay, it's Obi Wan. This is the premise. Yeah, yeah, and then with icarus at the end you had been kind of set up like oh okay these characters can die but for the middle you're like oh oh we're just killing the okay cool i guess we're willing to do this yeah um but yeah i like that actor don i uh i also i I do want to say i like that sequence because there's a uh trailer a, a sneaky trailer edit in one of the first trailers for eternal like first big trailers for eternals where uh icarus is or um, Sprite asks, oh, now that Captain Rogers and Iron Man are dead, who's going to lead the Avengers? And Icarus is like, I could lead them. And then in the trailer, they all laugh at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the movie, they all are like, yeah, I bet you could. Wow, you'd, you'd be pretty good at that. <laughs> uh, and then they kind of have some banter off of that. Um, I really like that. I think that that was a line that was a little bit worrying of, like, not even worrying, but it was like, okay, this feels very MCU. Sure. The, but 
the way they actually do it feels a lot more like it's in line with what this movie's doing because yeah. it's got Icarus being a serious person that everyone respects. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of going along with the fact that he causes such a rift when he breaks mold with their appointed leader of Cersei. So it's also worth I noting. Thought that was neat. I, I don't think any of the, any established MCU character shows up in this movie. It's all new faces, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, they I, reference- loved, I loved that. You, you yeah. have no idea how much I love that they didn't shoehorn in <laughs> Nick Fury or anyone the, else. Like The closest the we only... get is that we have seen a Celestial before. Yeah. Not but the, that Celestial. but The only celestial. real plot point that they need to address connected to the other Marvel films is Thanos. Yeah, but right. I love how standalone this film is. When was the other Celestial? In Guardians of the Galaxy, there's like a... Oh. A scene where they were talking about the Infinity Stones. We oh, see it, okay. it's it's not like we we see a astral projection, I guess. Oh, of, okay. Of, Do they say like that nowhere hologram. is the head of a celestial? Yes. Okay, that is correct. Oh, okie dokie. That that I guess is the other part of it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was I was impressed again by that that they were like, we're taking a big swing with this one, where you would think that the reflex would be. We then we gotta have you know, I don't know, I don't know, Florence Pugh show up or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we gotta get, we we have to bring in Doctor Strange. We have to bring in a big name. Yeah, but but no, we gotta bring in Topher Grace as Venom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why didn't you stop me? Topher Grace complained. No. See, you guys thought I was talking about uh, Prometheus when I mentioned uh, previous movie tackling similar themes with Black Goo. No, I was talking about Spider Man Three <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not owned by Disney yet. Yeah. It is in Arma Hearts. Uh, boys. Noel is coming, and also Mouse is coming. Uh, <laughs> Are we ready to grade Eternals, or do we have any final thoughts? I'm good. I'm going to go A minus. I, I, this might be Alex, your enthusiasm bolstering me i think i was kind of leaning b plus but i i think the it's not all perfect but uh there is some really cool stuff in here and it is a neat direction that i would like the mcu to keep exploring and i think they probably will uh i'm going to give it an a which is my highest grade that i've given an mcu film well um what i said well snap Yes. Uh, I'm going to go B minus. I was going to do C plus, but the, the the conversation bolstered me. And I also feel like this is a movie that on second watch, I will sure. probably enjoy more because I'll be looking out for more things. That I, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to grumble that Makari's not in it enough, but that's yeah, also sure. something that the MCU can always correct. Like that is one of the upsides to the MCU and these characters showing up again is that if you see a character in a movie, unless it's like, a, the title character of a big release like that obviously is disappointing but there's always the like oh i didn't get enough of them oh but they can use them again later they yeah. can they can I, they don't even have to have their own tv show or something but like we can get more of that person uh in a later movie so i'm i might i might not mind come eternals 2 or um i don't know wandavision season mm-hmm. two 
Um, I do also want to throw out that caveat of, yeah, I, I only watched this once and this is kind of just off of that first viewing. And maybe it was because I knew that, you know, a lot of people said this was one of the, the lower end of the spectrum of MCU movies. So maybe I was going in with just very low expectations. I was I was shocked and astounded by how delightful I thought the movie was. Yeah. And I loved every second of it past the 30 second mark when that opening crawl was done. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Nice. Um, for my recommendation, I have a shorter movie. Uh, it's it's not as like gung ho a recommendation as my previous ones have been, but I'm still going to recommend it. Uh, it's called Flea. This is a Danish documentary um, that I watched on Hulu. It is up for some Oscars and is like a, a big uh, movie. And it is like it's a Danish documentary. It's all it's mostly animated um, to protect the subject's uh, identity. The subject is named Amin. He is uh, an Afghanistan-born uh, refugee, essentially, and it's him telling the the the, the thrust of the movie is that he is uh, as he approaches this wedding or his wedding, he is he tells his his story and in so doing really reveals a secret that he's kept hidden for years. I went into this thinking that meant like, oh, this is all building like this big mystery and it's going to, you know, be some crazy huge reveal. Like I killed Saddam Hussein or something like that. And that's not what it is. Um, I am Thanos's brother, <laughs> you know, it wasn't anything <laughs> like that, but it is, it is, it is a much more personal secret that is actually revealed earlier in the movie and is about kind of that impact on his life. But it's just about him telling his, his, the story of his attempted escape and his escape from Afghanistan in the, the late eighties. And it's, or just a really interesting little 90 minute movie about mm. telling one person and one family's story of escape from a country being decimated that through being about one, one person, I think does a really good job of illustrating the, the general, just how hard it is for people who are completely innocent to get out of a very dangerous situation that, you know, we hear about all these these things going on around the world, and you, I think it can be easy to forget sometimes. Like, there are people on the ground who are in no way a part of any of the destruction, and they are not in favor of it. They, they are not guilty of any of these these things that we're so against. They're just trying to stay safe and get out, and how hard that is, um, and how much bureaucracy and danger there is. And it's, it is an emotional movie. Um, and, and it's intercut with a, there's a lot of like news footage from the time. Um, some of that's a little grisly. Nothing as bad as the some of the documentary footage they show in uh, the Five Bloods, but uh, it's it heads up. Uh, there's a dead body. <laughs> um, but it is it's it's a it's a neat movie, and I'm glad that I watched it. Uh, I think I went into it having heard it touted so much that I was like, this is gonna change my whole perspective on movies, and it's gonna just completely dishevel me. Um, so I guess don't overhype things to yourself, <laughs> sure, but at the same time, recommendation. yeah, but it, it is a, that's it. It is a really well-made movie. The animation is really effective. The ending shot is very effective and it's, it's just a really like touching, very individual human story about a, a larger conflict and a larger sort of global circumstance. Um, and that is, it might be in other places, but I watched it on Hulu and it is called flea. F L E E. 
Um, I did not watch something nearly as dramatic and hard hitting. I watched The King's Man. <laughs> so something more dramatic go. and hard hitting. <laughs> I mean, in some way, sure. <laughs> um, this is the third Kingsman movie. It's a prequel set during World War One, and I actually liked it quite a bit. And I would actually feel comfortable in recommending that as a franchise to do for the podcast now. Um, just because I've got I've got the nice I've got I've got the nice sandwich of of two pretty good movies and then that terrible one in the middle. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really really good. And basically, Ray finds like is the star, like he is the main character. Um, I I thought he was gonna kind of be relegated to just kind of a side character, so we would focus on our kind of boring um, uh, Taron Edgerton clone. But that's not really what the movie's about. Um. It's a shame that uh, Juman Hansu, because uh, I was talking about uh, Blood Diamond a week or two ago, uh, it's a shame that he doesn't get more to do, but that's just kind of par for the course with a lot of the movies that he's in. Um, but uh, everyone's good in it. Uh, Reezy Fons is uh, Rasputin, and he's disturbing and weird and funny, and I don't really know what to make of that. There's a whole kind of subplot that that movie just takes kind of just angles off in for a while. That's just weird Matthew Vaughn territory, but um, the movie's really just about like the sacrifices you have to make during war and particularly young men going off to fight a cause that they don't fully understand and kind of the futility that can come with that. Um, I thought it was kind of thematically, it actually had much more to say than at least the second kingsman film first one works pretty well on the thematic level um but there's some really really neat action sequences i think matthew vaughn he doesn't fully restrain himself he doesn't fully pull back because i i feel like in in his past movies he often falls victim to just kind of doing whatever he wants no matter the mm -hmm. context so like tonally like kingsman 2 is just all over the place it, it never knows if it's taking itself seriously or if it's a complete farce and it just kind of it, it's just like a mangled mess this film is 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 far more restrained it's not completely restrained i think there's sure. still some some issues with it but it feels like he he had a better feel for it um and there's a lot of there are dramatic moments that work quite well there's a whole knife fight that happens in the middle of no man's land between these two trenches um that like the context of it is really really fascinating to me and it was just a neat setup for an action sequence um and ray fines did a lot of shooting and a lot of fighting and it was it was delightful and the villain twist at the end sucked but everything else was <laughs> fine <laughs> did it turn out it was uh lupin with a mustache <laughs> i'll say this once you find out that a certain actor is in the movie that has been in another movie that we've done for the podcast, um, you'll quickly go, why did you cast that guy with the criticism that was lobbed at this other movie? I, I'll, I'll leave Rebel it. Wilson? <laughs> yeah. Grace? Tover Grace is in yeah. the movie? Rebel Wilson, the secret villain of the Pitch Perfect trilogy. <laughs> hey. Kara Develning? De <laughs> John Lithgow? Uh, Charles Dance is in it. And he has his uh, his normal contractual obligation of ten minutes, and then he's out Amazing. of the movie. So absolute legend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, was gonna say I am 
currently tearing through the Walking Dead comic. Uh, after at, at long last, I have acquired the full thing. They have these big brick-sized compendiums. Um, and there's four of them, and I am currently like working my way pretty quickly through. Almost halfway through the series, and I started this like four days ago. <laughs> uh, it is extremely addicting, and I I want to see how it ends because I still haven't gotten to stuff that I hadn't at some point read or at least sort of experienced through the show. So um, I'm very excited to see how it actually ends, and I expect. Well, I was gonna say I'm gonna try to finish it pretty soon here, so maybe by next week I will have. More updates on that, but also Elden Ring comes out, so there oh, will be boy. a competition yeah. for my recommendation next week. We'll see what we'll see what happens. There will be blood um, <laughs> during be blood. during the podcast episode next week. You're going to hear a lot of Tyler going, "Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah," <laughs> and then a lot of like beeps and boops or whatever sounds. Yeah, I love that movie we we watched that I definitely didn't throw on a laptop <laughs> uh, to the left, which is even funnier. If you know which movie we're gonna watch next week, and I don't know that I want to reveal that yet, I agree. I don't know what our. I, th- I think it's better. Are we for just, people is it to just discover. a big surprise? Is that what we're going? I, with? I think big surprise. I don't. Okay. I don't know how many people know about it. <laughs> I don't know that it's a well well known piece of cinema. But well, hey, we're doing it. Look, mm-hmm. we, when you skip over that episode and and probably the next couple after it, we'll be thinking of you. Mm-hmm. But also don't mm-hmm. because it's gonna be real good. I think it's they're gonna all be good. All our real... episodes are gold. It's going to be real interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and if you want to learn where that is, you can find us uh, on herecomesequels.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter at HCT Sequels. We are on Spotify and iTunes and uh, CastBox and Overcast and ca- Castaway <laughs> Film. Any, We now have a deal where anytime you're watching that movie, it will pause for a full ad that is just part of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been Tyler. <laughs> I've been Britain. It's it's right at the moment where uh, spoilers. Tom Hanks is like, "Where'd Wilson go?" <laughs> He's looking, and then it cuts to, uh, uh, "We're talking about Venom. Let there be carnage." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've been Alex, and you're having a very very wonderful evening. Oh, ho, ho.